Exegesis. Welcome to Countdown to Exegesis, the podcast where I, Ollie Piper, force my co-host Andrew Souter to listen to Steely Dan's entire discography, Song by Tortuous Song. How's that going for you, Andrew? Uh, well, I've enjoyed more than I expected. You've enjoyed 50%? Uh, spoiler, well, spoiler, spoiler. Two-fifths. Um, but yes, more than I expected, so that's hopeful. Good. However, uh, I would just like to raise an issue, <laughs> which is that I was talking to my friend and bandmate yesterday, and she said a couple of things that I've been carrying around with me today. One of them was she said, she said, I've got a horrible feeling that you're going to become a Steely Dan fan. And when she said that, she looked like a sort of Hieronymus Bosch painting, like she looked genuinely um, upset. That's a few yeah. degrees beyond up, upset. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, she looked like a a soul in hell. Um, and then she said, "If I do become a Steely Dan fan, that she would feel betrayed, because she thinks that me, her, and Nathan, the third member of the band, that we have bonded uh, in the past over our dislike of Steely Dan. So that if I become a Danhead through doing this podcast." she will feel sort of uh, like I've changed, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you didn't, I mean, you didn't know me pre Dan, you know, no. uh, so I, you can't speak for whether it's, it's irrevocably mm. shattered my personality, but, but, you know, I, I would say, I would say to uh, Piera and Nathan, mm-hmm. just, just look at me. Well, they like you. They like you. So, well, exa- so they, exactly. But they, maybe they'd like you a bit more. <laughs> that's the worry yeah okay okay um, well you know well I, I think what upset her was that i was trying to get her to put on reeling in the years the subject of today's episode i think that was a bridge too far <laughs> yeah like just just try it once just just see what you think <laughs> yeah. just try it once yeah exactly i was a pusher sort of thing it it can't hurt yeah Today we turn our tender ears to side two of Steely Dan's debut album, Can't Buy a Thrill, with the song Reeling in the Years. It's a biggie. But first, as we move on to our boring segment, is it self is it self aware yet? Does it know that it's boring and awful? No, are we, we at that stage? No, no, okay. No. We have we're to still, still pretend we're still that world building. Yeah. It has we'll still pretend it has worth. Okay, so mm-hmm. What are you drinking, Andrew? Tell me. Well, I told you earlier that I had a big drink surprise for you this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, you you have been lightly critical, I would say, of my uh, drink choices over the past few episodes because it's largely revolved around Doom Bar um, and other British ales. Mm-hmm. So when I say it's a big drink surprise, the drink itself is not a surprise. Uh, it, it's it's a Doom Bar. Um, okay. Which is a, a lovely, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, lovely amber ale, 4.3% um, brewed in, in Cornwall. But the surprise is that I looked up a review of Doombar and it sounds a bit like they're talking about Steely Dan. Okay, do go on. Okay, so let me read you a couple of quotes. So this is from, it was called like beerinthewild.com or something. 
Accomplished and precise, Doombar is the epitome of consistency, balance and Moorish appeal. Then there's some shit about tasting notes, you know, like it's resinous hops and nutty, whatever. But then... Top notes of tar and... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Shades of summer's past. But then, this phrase, I think you will agree, is is quite uh, the the mot juste uh, to describe down. A subtle yet assertive bitterness... The finish is dry and refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like a Robert. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Robert Criscow. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's review. It, it really does. Um, and so I thought maybe we could do a featurette in future episodes where you have to guess whether I'm describing an ale or a Steely Dan song. Yeah, I mean, it would be better than this segment, for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we need to build on it somehow, especially if I'm just going to have a Doom Bar every week. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I mean, but I, I take responsibility for n- not being at all interesting either. Um, so what are you drinking? Right. Uh, I have been tempted by the vice of sobriety, mm-hmm. and I am drinking a cold brew coffee. Oh, okay. And what is the brand? Because I'm just, you know, ultimately, I'm angling for a Doombar sponsorship. And so if you could bring something to the table oh, in I terms of, um, you know, in terms of uh, sponsorship wishes, like a sponsorship wish list, that'd be great, I think, for the pod yeah. and for our futures, you know, separately and together. Yeah, okay. Um, I just um, I just wonder if, uh, if we keep that segment in that mm-hmm. we started with, yeah. which... Will be this, this will be really tantalizing now if people know that we cut it uh, mm-hmm. but it it, it, it kind of it was it was very sweary it, it made light of drug addiction mm-hmm. um alluded to sort of all sorts of horrendous stuff yeah sort of sadian depravity yeah so do we you know and now that I've alluded to the fact that we alluded to that even if we cut that bit mm. we can't now cut this bit because it will ruin the flow so they're gonna know that we are at least capable of saying those sorts of things. I think that's enticing. I mean, this may be uh, this may be a kind of self sabotage on my part because sorry, sorry, An- Andrew, I I don't want to be sponsored by Doombar. Sorry, Doombar. Okay, okay. Well, let's okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to look for other options then, other ways of drawing in interest for the podcast. So m- maybe I could just say that I'm currently nude. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want me to? I mean, I can see you. <laughs> Am I supposed to play along now? Yeah, yeah. I'm nude. I can feel the soft King's Heath breezes against my hairy chest. Uh, y- yeah. I mean, wow. What a long haircut. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Should we do some song facts? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, reeling in the years. I mean, I think of this as the big single I do. Um, mm. I can't. I don't know if it was actually the biggest hit, um, but the second, it's the second and final single from Can't Buy a Thrill. Sounds like a single. It does. Reached number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. With only a fool <laughs> would say that on the B-side. Mm. So, that wasn't very fun, but I've got some great facts this time round. Great. Um like I've got more 
fun shit in my notes for this segment than anything else. So can I just maybe go outside <coughs> for a smoke and then we can just cut in reactions like me going, ah, <laughs> and you're, you're telling me the truth? Things like that. I mean, I've ca- I've carefully structured this mm-hmm. to to ramp up in fun factor as we go on. So okay. you want to stick around for the end. Okay, okay. Really. All right, all right. So... A few a few little s- s- tidbits from uh, Wikipedia to start with. So in, in an interview with Rolling Stone in 2009, mm-hmm. uh, Fagan said of this song, it's dumb but effective. Okay. And Becker added, it's no fun. Right. Nice pair. Cri- nice pair well, cr- cryptic. What does he mean by that? Does he mean the song isn't fun or that it was it was no fun to record or it's no fun to play? Because I would say Crypt- it's, de- it's, it's definitely fun. It's a fun time Cryptic song. old Becker. Yeah. Yeah, but he loves saying it's not fun because it's too it's too fun for his tastes. Right, 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 right. He would he wouldn't do something that that overtly fun. Mm. Would nowadays if, if you went to a wedding and Walter Becker was one of the guests, would he dance at the disco at the end? Uh ignoring the fact that he's dead. God, God rest. Sorry, soul, yes, I. Yes, yes. Uh, I I would say I would guess no, okay. but you know I don't I don't know Becca the man. It's 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 fun to have it's it's fun to poke at Becca the uh, the sardonic interviewee. Yeah, but you know I the picturing him at a wedding. I just don't know. I I can imagine him. I mean I've I've no wish to speak ill of the dead, uh, but I can imagine him like on the sidelines at the disco, just making catty remarks about women's heels. Yeah, like, well, yeah, I mean, that's basically where my where my brain was going. Yeah. Like, leaning over um, a young lady mm-hmm. and, 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 and just kind of and just kind of making fun of the people who are so crass as to move their feet yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, who knows? He might have been a champion... Uh, slow dancer on the wedding circuit. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, I would say that was more likely of Becker than Fagan. Um, but I can Cannot imagine, imagine well, Fagan hitting the dance floor. I, w- I was watching an old Grey Whistle Test performance of Reeling in the Years earlier, featuring mm. your friend and mine, David Palmer, on tambourine oh, and, he was sing- and he yowls. Was, was he singing? They were yeah, all he singing. Backing, backing yowls, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Fagan is, is really into it. He looks very intense and slightly scary, and I can imagine him. Is it the jaw thing again? <laughs> what having the jaw of a shark? Is that what we said? The big wide jaw that scares you. <laughs> yeah. Also, he he looks like. I mean, again, I've no wish to spill to speak ill of the living or the dead. Is Fagin alive? Very much so. Very much so. Okay. I've, no, I've no, this recording. Fingers crossed. I've no wish to speak ill of anyone, uh, but. He looks like he hasn't but. washed for for a few weeks, but he hasn't. He has a crazed intensity about him that is quite uh, watchable, mm-hmm. and so I can imagine him at four a.m. at a wedding disco, just going completely mad and like flailing his arms around, a bit like David Mitchell in that episode of Peep Show where he pretends to take drugs. Oh yeah, and then he goes up to and then he goes up to um, Becca and yeah. says. <laughs> Am I gonna poo, Walter? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. says like, "Oh, I think I'm getting the famous munchies." <laughs> and Becca goes, "Ah, Donald. Ah, Donny. 
like that and then points at a woman and says, she could have chosen her dress with more care, couldn't she, Danny? I don't know what this. I don't know what this accent is. It's certainly not American. For once, Walter, I don't care. I'm floating on air. <laughs> I'm floating on air, Walter. Walter, do you remember? I, I, I've never felt so free. The drinks are flowing, and my my <laughs> my brain is a soft pink cloud. Love is in the air, Walter. <laughs> Walter, do you remember at Annandale? We used to go to the college bar. We used to sit on the sidelines. We used to chat shit. Oh, gee. Whoa, you just blindsided me with a reference there. Did I? Yeah. Ah, can I guess what the reference is? Yeah. So, because I was I was pondering this before we started recording. So, there's a line in Reeling in the Years about the weekend at the college. Uh-huh. Didn't yeah, go to yeah. plan, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what the weekend at the college was. Because normally you go to college for longer than a... Well, you don't study it at the weekend anyway. So is it some kind of open day? <laughs> like the open day didn't go as planned. It didn't. The college wasn't cracked. What it what was cracked up to be. So mom drove me home, and we went for my second choice. <laughs> exactly, and that's why Donald Fagan is so contemptuous of her. Is because she didn't she didn't fight her corner at the open day. Um, so you're saying that's a reference to Annandale College. Well, I don't know if that particularly is, but yeah, your your reference to Annadale College surprised me. Okay, that you you'd done some research. I pay attention. I do pay attention. I I didn't know if you had listened ahead in a sneaky way. Nope, no. And because... I think I think we should clarify that because we we mentioned it in the first couple of episodes, but it's kind of fallen by the wayside. That I am coming to these songs fresh eared. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I, so oh, yeah. I, I haven't, I, I haven't heard anything post reeling in the years, uh, apart from Asia, and I listened to it so long ago that all I remember is a kind of, a kind of monochrome, jazz funk, glossy carapace. Yes, nice. Um, are you? <laughs> yeah, no. Annandale, mm, Annandale nice. gets no gets um, <laughs> Annandale gets uh, named by name in the next album so all oh, right i was i was like hmm has he listened to my old school that sneaky little <laughs> no, sneaky no, no, no fly <laughs> not at all i will say that annandale sounds fictitious it scans well mm. like it's it's like uh it's like everybody it's just got a it's got a musical it's got a musicality yeah yeah annandale going to annandale <laughs> Yeah, and it rhymes with man and pale. Like man a, and snail. Like a bucket. Um, lamb and grail, <laughs> almost. Orbit, if you want to yeah. get kind of, if you want to get kind of Catholic about it. Mm. Um, Sam and Dave. Yeah. Anyway, Sam and Dave. Mm, that's a half rhyme, but I, you know. Yeah, I mean that that would be, that would be uh, that would be the lyricist's choice. Yeah. You'd rhyme it with Sam and Dave. It's sort I mean, of I don't know what with, you'd be writing about. It sort of rhymes with carapace. Yeah, it does. Mm. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for correcting my pronunciation <laughs> stealthily there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Shall I hit you with some covers? Yes, please do. So I'll I'll, I'll give. Okay, so I was going to say I'll get the shit ones out of the way. They're not shit. They're just far less interesting than the most interesting covers of this song. Okay. So, Marvelous Three. Um, 
who you may know. Nope. Who are marvellous. No. Nope. They are the late 90s pop rockers known for the single Freak of the Week. Right. No, it's not ringing any bells. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I found a... <laughs> Is it? I found an interesting metal version recorded in COVID-19 lockdown. Okay. Yadda, 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 yadda. It's good. Check it out. Yadda, yadda. Run. Okay. The first amazing cover is by Apologetics, with an X, mm-hmm. who are a Christian parody band. Right. And they covered it as, they covered it really quite well, mm. but they covered it as Rolling in the Yeast. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, what does that I mean? mean? I, I feel like just I, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the context that 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 appears right. So mm-hmm. the chorus goes, "Are you rolling in the yeast? Yeah. So you can make it rise. Mm-hmm. Are you fattening up the geese? Have you had them stuffed with lies? <laughs> right. What I don't understand about that is is that it seems like apologetics have never made bread before. Because you don't roll well, in the yeast. Uh, uh, well, I, you, I didn't you know just if add it was the like yeast some to sort the, of to the flour, biblical don't you? reference. I, 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 I don't know. Oh, maybe. Uh, 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 but it, I, I certainly didn't get it. And then a second second chorus. Are you reeling in the fish? <laughs> don't even waste your time. Right. You'd be better off than this if you led a life of crime. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like. I genuinely think there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, it's it it gets quite deep, but um, I did not expect to find that. What I did expect to find mm. was um, was the Donnie and Marie Osmond version. Did you find that in your travels? I saw it mentioned on Wikipedia and thought, yes, please, I would like to watch that, but didn't get around to it. So what I'm going to do now mm. is literally make you watch that. Okay. <laughs> Okay. In its entirety, yeah, um, and we'll just we'll cut out the bit where it happens, and it's quite long, <laughs> but Fantastic. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I'm gonna force you to watch it, and if you want to play along at home, please pause the podcast now and go and watch this Donnie and Marie Osmond version of this song, okay? Because your life will be changed forever. So pause now, okay. Can I can I summarize how that made me feel? Yeah, please do. Okay, so you know when you're a child and you watch too much telly, like you like <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon, you've had your Sunday lunch and you kind of disappear into the living room and you just watch like four hours of like the neighbors on omnibus and then Big Break and then various other things from the nineties mm-hmm. and you just and you just feel at the end of it. You just feel completely like vacant and and brain dead, and your 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 brain is swimming. I feel like I've had that experience, but condensed into sort of three and a half minutes. Powerful, isn't it? It it's it it truly uh, blindsided me. Uh, partly because it's such such an odd choice of song. Because the song yeah, is about I mean... is about not you know it's about not being able to value things and having the wrong values in quite a you know judgmental way, but. But like Becker and Fagin would have an absolute snide fest watching that, wouldn't they? They would. I bet they loved it when that happened. I bet they loved it. Yeah. I bet they made it. I bet they. I bet they got six, six or seven evenings out of that of just of just (laughs) pure snide (laughs) jollity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet they called each other Donnie and Marie. 
<laughs> yeah, I bet they did. Do you? Uh, it was your, what was your favourite bit? And was it go ice skaters? I did love go ice skaters. I also liked that the ice skaters had oversized rabbit tails. And the slow down, and then the can can. Yeah. Over the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Class- classic. I also I really just, enjoyed I, I... Um, when they broke uh, to, to tell us who the guests were. And one of them was a little sort of troll man, like a little <laughs> man in a in like a sort of brown cowl, yeah, like a monk's habit sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gurning, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's it's misjudged at every level, and it's just yeah. a wonderful piece of cultural ephemera for for that yeah. reason. It's just yeah, absolute like yeah, godly. I don't I don't think we're gonna get any cover that's quite as like awfully good as that for the whole for the whole yeah. rest of the run unfortunately what, what i love about it is that if you didn't speak english right and you heard them singing the verse of that song i don't think you would mm. know it was reeling in the years because they turn I still it into don't this... know what you mean <laughs> that's i love that the delivery of that line was fantastic <laughs> but also it's just like your everlasting summer you can see it's fading fast you know it sounds like something from singing in the rain yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just watching um, like Marie Osmond going, saying the line, you wouldn't know a diamond if you held it in your hand, but with this sort of big broad grin, <laughs> as though she's saying, <laughs> Come on, everybody, let's have a real good time. <laughs> very, very peculiar. What I would love is if that this was part of a series of. Um, like introductions to the the Osmond show, where they do things like like a Rolling Stone, or um, Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. You know, songs that are, are just really dark and unpleasant. Yeah, like, like yeah, and just maybe they could do Heroin by Velvet Underground. <laughs> I don't know just where I'm going, <laughs> but I will try. You know, that would be great. Oh, that's wonderful. Because when oh, the Jesus. blood rushes to my veins and I feel <laughs> just like Jesus' son and I guess that I just don't know. Tell me. You know. And then the can can Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they guess she just doesn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, what a wonderful thought. Yeah, I would love to see a row of can can ice of can canning ice skaters singing the line "Heroin, it's my w- wife and it's my life." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh god. Uh, yeah. The, the Osmonds do G.G. Allen. Like, yeah, mm. how far can we take this? One day, these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. Shall we? Yeah, shall we discuss the vibe? Yeah. Can I go first? Yeah. Just because um just because my vibes tend to be a little more succinct than yours. Mine is uh, a paragraph. Okay. So my vibe mm-hmm. is two grumpy old men in their twenties write a dad rock classic. Yeah, that's good. I think for me that, that sums it up. Say no more. Say no more. Well, well I, I, but do say more. I will say more. Say yours. Um okay. So it will it will be clear that I wrote this earlier. Um but uh, so let me just read it for you. Vibe. Soundtrack to a montage scene in a movie about a washed-up middle-aged schlub husband trying to escape his suburban malaise by, for example, buying a motorbike, doing bench presses, 
and smoking weed that he buys from his neighbour's teenage son. As the twin guitar solo peaks and his cheeks gleam with the sweaty radiance of fleetingly recaptured youth, his wife walks in, <laughs> leads over meaningfully, presses stop on the CD player and says, David, we need to talk. And, and he's and all of these kind of all of these bitter judgmental lyrics in the song. Yeah. Or are, are his internal narrative towards towards his wife who he seems who he who he sees completely irrationally as dragging him into middle age. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, I married you I married married you when you were a, a beautiful girl and now you're just an old woman, you know. Um yeah. I feel that's the I, I feel like that's how Fagan and Becker would see their spouses if they had any. <laughs> Oh, we're so mean to them. No, I didn't mean that nastily. I just don't know whether they were married. Although I, I am, I am strongly <laughs> uh, yeah. suggesting that they are misogynistic dirtbags. My point is, this to me is a fantastic song. However, it just sounds like, to me, it sounds like a man having a midlife crisis and reconnecting with his college days by sticking this on, smoking a doobie while his wife's out and, uh, you know, thinking about the lovely Sandra, the one who got away, you know, when he was 19. Yeah. yeah. Soaping him up, soaping himself up in the family armchair and like, <laughs> and having the biggest wank of his life. <laughs> and then his wife walks in. I mean, that's that, what that isn't even close to what I was imagining. Uh, there was no elaborate wanking ritual in my uh, piece of prose. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, no, I know. That's entirely projection on your part. I'm just, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying <laughs> picturing someone like, like, l- literally, masturbating themselves into into a into a kind of reverie, mm-hmm. of uh, like a, uh, a, a little psychedelic excursion of of sort of right. of sort of sexual bubbliness, like Allen Ginsberg um, wanking while reading William Blake. I well, I didn't know that that happened. But I'm glad I do now. Mm. No. So let's talk music. Okay. Um, as as regular listeners <laughs> will know. Um, we have we have three segments that we divide the song into our discussion into and that is the vibes which we've just done the music and the lyrics so let's talk music um and i'll just start off by saying mm. like what a f- what a way to kick off a, the one side of an album or the second side of an album like mm. this has to be one of the best album kickoffers in rock history <laughs> sorry I, I didn't mean to uh laugh so derisively then because uh, i agree well i i I, rea- I realized that i was i was trans transmorphing into a, a kind of like uh, 80s bbc radio presenter yeah yeah i think that's what i think it was the way you said in rock history <laughs> um, but i agree it is a, an excellent uh side opener just that lick in the, uh, the lick comes in, in one speaker and then boom mm. the, the gallop so who is playing guitar chug, on chug, this track? Chug, 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 chug. Is it your friend and mine, Skunk? Or is it your friend and um, mine, um, uh, Elliot, T.S. Elliot, whatever he's called? Elliot Spokes. On this song, I think we have the two, the two mainstays of of Skunky and Denny Diaz. 
Oh, I forgot about Denny Diaz. Yeah, well, he—he he was the other main one. He just—he—he he just sort of—he just kind of stands there in a in a in a in a big shy way and mm. plays in in my head of my little di- Dan diorama. Anyway, that's what he does. Um, no, El- and Elliot Randall played the solo in this. Um, right, so not skunk, not skunk. Although, okay. so one point that I wanted to clarify. Yeah, which is I, I, I may just listen to the song again before we started. Yeah, it's it's because this solo gets a lot of plaudits. Yeah, for instance, it's Jimmy Page's favorite solo, says Wikipedia. Mm. Wikipedia also says that Jimmy Page ranked it twelve out of ten. Right. So even I mean, even even better than anything its capacity for being good in the physical world. <laughs> right. My point is this: there is a lot of soloing in this song. Yeah. Like. There's a lot, like there's effectively three guitar solos in this song. Yeah, and each of them is fairly distinct. So I'm a little bit confused about what people when people really pin the Elliot Randall Randall solo as being the best bit or being an excellent solo. I'm like, well, it sounds like Elliot Randall's Randall soloing over the whole thing. I'm guessing they mean the bit in the end in the middle where it goes a bit wild because that's where a solo I, usually happens. I suspect. That so is it after the second chorus where it sort of breaks down and goes and and then the and then there's the twin guitar thing. Well, yeah, but the but then after that it kind of comes down and the bass and the guitar go all sort of surf rhythm. Lovely tambourine in the mix. Yeah, yeah. But then that's kind of like that feels like a melodic construction. Yeah. Right. And then that goes, but even then that goes into a solo part. But that's what so I'm saying. So I even, think when people talk about it, the solo, they mean the solo after that Thin Lizzy twin guitar bit. Mm. I think. Okay. But I uh, could be, I but, mean, we, we, how can we know without doing a survey? Well, if you want to write in and let us know exactly where the solo starts with time codes, please, then please email at countdown to exegesis at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we will tally up the results and let you know next series well look everyone loves this solo I'll tell you who loves this solo that may surprise you <laughs> it's not you is it it's oh, it's not me it's not Jimmy Page mm-hmm. it's Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Why is that surprising? Oh, because, because because as you mentioned in a previous episode, they were notoriously fussy about solos. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. They said in the liner notes to the reissue, that was a hell of a thing, wasn't it? They actually right. said nice things. Right, right, right. Uh, so I think nice. I think I read when uh, somewhere between on the Wikipedia page, somewhere between it being called Reeling in the Years and then the thing about Donnie and Marie Osmond, I think there was something about how it was a one-take solo. Yeah. Apparently so. Yeah, which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's uh, if 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 I cared about like tone mm. and fingering and whatever guitarists care about, then I'd I'd be all over this. Yeah. It it sounds it sounds good and passionately played. Yeah. I, th- I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's. It's a good solo. I. I do think this song is generally full of, basically little solos. It's. 
This is what I mean, really, because basically this song is a succession of like really good riffs mm. and just just a constant fluttering of little licks, little butterflies of of guitar trills and things that yeah. come fluttering past you. It's really a ballet of like little um, l- little bluesy happenings. A ballet of moths. Mm. Definitely a goth band in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. And yeah, it's good. <laughs> so that's all. I, that's all I have to say, really. <laughs> it's a really good song. I think the the main thing for me, as you know, uh, a virgin listener, uh, is that this is the first Donald Fagan vocal that I have actively enjoyed. Because I think it suits his it suits his voice. The lyrics suit his voice. The melody suits his voice. It doesn't feel like he's straining like on Kings, you know, where it's like uh, nevertheless, but yeah, you know, horrible, sort of strained, slightly costive vocal. Here, I think he has a withering tone which like matches the lyrics, which we will go on to discuss. Uh, and I liked okay. it. Okay, I liked it. Good. I think with any band that's developing you sort of they they learn to write for the a singer learns to write for their own voice yeah don't, don't they but this song uh, uh this, this whole album feels a little bit a, a little bit like juvenile dan toddling around just out of its baby frame do they is that a thing um, it's cot yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this this song this song is all together it just feels uh, it feels complete. It feels confident. It feels like effortless in its yeah. absolute like grooviness, catchiness. Yeah, all round. And I, I don't know if this has come across in our discussion of the music, but I think we both think this is a really excellent song. Yeah, I we? love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, um, usually, we start it... these. It, if you if you like a song of Steely Dan, which has happened at least 50% of the time so far. No, it's happened two-fifths of the time. Skept- Wait, no. Hang on. Dirty Work. Yeah. And Dirty Work, Only a Fool, Reeling in the Years. 50%. You've liked, you've liked all of those songs. Fucking hell. I forgot about Only a Fool entirely. <sighs> but yeah, that's that's a banger. Always, always forgetting the deep cuts. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So you, you for your for all your Dan skepticism, as mm. you put it, you you are you are on one of Dan's spottiest albums. You've liked fifty percent of the tracks, so you know that bodes well, matey. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And and probably there are artists who I would say I really liked, where I like less than fifty percent of their output. Well, let's see how it goes for the rest of the album. <laughs> yeah. Just... Yeah. But it is interesting what you you're saying about how, you know, a band in its early stages learns to write for the singer because that sort of has implications for the the band's worldview as in we've been banding around words like cynicism and world weariness and all these things to describe Steely Dan's yeah their their take on the world. Mise en scène. Their, yeah. yeah, their milieu. Um, <laughs> their their mise en abîme, their Weltanschauung. <laughs> Um, but potentially, it's the conjunction of a worldview with a voice. Well, no, absolutely, and I think that I, I think that starts to coalesce on album two. Mm. But don't you think that that has that has interesting 
ramifications for talking about music because often when people talk about music it's in terms of what is the singer trying to express you know like what part of their life are Mm -hmm. they trying to express but the point is there's whole other parts of their life that they're not expressing because they don't have the voice for it so like yeah would jason molina have written so many sad songs if he sounded like david palmer the answer is probably no you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so, so in, in other words, we, we draw conclusions about people from the songs that they sing, but actually the songs that they sing are some conjunction, some meeting of something that they've felt, experienced and want to express with their actual voice. So Donald Fagan was cursed with this voice, which is yeah. the, the perfect vehicle for cynicism. Yeah. And, and, was, and despite wanting to write, soaring soft rock songs yeah he was cursed to to write cynical jazz rock yeah and and songs with the rest with, of time. with lines that have this cadence <laughs> that was beautiful <laughs> oh, i mean we, we we have to be careful that that might be like content matched because it was such a perfect rendition of the song Right, right, right. That they might think we actually put in a snippet of the song there. Mm, yeah, we do need to tread carefully. Um, <laughs> because as we know, as we know from Wikipedia, Steely Dan are fucking litigious. They they sued um, Super Fairy Animals. Do you know about this sordid episode? Oh, uh, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's really bad. Because the Super Fairy Animals had that song, The Man Don't Give a Fuck. Do you know mm-hmm. that one? I know. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> all right, defensive. Um, and it samples Steely Dan. I heard that before I heard Dan. I think so. I I knew I knew that sample before I knew the song it was from. Yeah, maybe it implanted a seed in your mm. ovaries. Quite quite possibly. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, they yeah they sued Super for Animals, who are, I mean were successful, but were a much smaller band um, for including this sample. Uh, and I just think that's really lame. It's almost as lame as Bob Dylan suing Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you know. Because, like, Bob Dylan is like... I hope he sued know. them for existing. <laughs> <laughs> or he sued them for, like, a property dispute, which had nothing to do with, uh, with music. <laughs> Part three of the countdown to exegesis triptych is mm-hmm. the lyric discussion. Um, and Andrew, I'll, I'll leave this one to you to lead. I have things to say, but it's mostly on a kind of macro level. Um, if you want to get in with your microscope and tweezers, please do. Okay. Uh, well, we've already mentioned this episode, the great grizzled god of folk and rock. Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, and we also established in the very first episode that the title of this album, Can't Buy a Thrill, is taken from a mid-60s Dylan song. Mm-hmm. And the lyrically, this song really reminds me of mid-60s Dylan, uh, particularly his sort of acerbic put-down songs. Mm. Um, so things like Like a Rolling Stone, um, Ballad of a Thin Man, is like a Rolling Stone uh, a, a put down song? Well, a diss track. This is jumping ahead say. slightly. Well, it's interesting, and I was gonna, uh, you know, I don't know how 
how much depth we're going to go into comparing Dylan and, and the Dan. But I do have some thoughts about this. So Like a Rolling Stone is an attack on a sort of spoiled, blinkered, rich girl who went to the finest school and has now had a fall from grace okay. and is now scoring drugs on the street and she's and, and and the chorus is sort of crowing about her fall from grace you know how does it feel to be on your own with no direction home like a rolling stone okay but there's kind of a sense in which she has been freed from her blinkered cosseted rich girl existence because it's like if you say how does it feel to be on your own with no direction home that could be a positive thing mm-hmm. it, it kind of sounds like it's describing bob dylan in his like drifting hobo persona mm-hmm. you know no walls no boundaries and like the the penultimate line sorry the last line before the final chorus is you're invisible now you've got no secrets to conceal which again it sounds great you know it's like there is in her new anonymity there is something freeing and mm-hmm. um, positive for her so it's like really venomous the attack of the song is like very vitriolic but it sort of has a weird twist to it where it's kind of like a cathartic celebration of, of her world falling apart, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And and that also is quite similar to another Dylan song from, I think, the year before, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, where, again, it's kind of like seems to be sort of mocking this woman almost for having, for, like, her society world falling apart. But then it's the final line is strike another match, go start anew. So, again, it's like... You know, your world falls apart. That's where your new world begins, kind of. But I mean, is this like the people? Is this like the comedians who make racist jokes and then go, "I'm only joking" at the end? Uh, I think that's an unfair comparison. <laughs> I don't think it's anything like that. Oh no, just like um, uh, he's putting a little. Tag what, at as the in end. he has his cake and eats it? He, yeah, he, he makes he 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 will write an absurdic song and then be like, "Oh, but the promise of a new dawn." Get that last line mm. in there. But like I say, the chorus, uh, I mean, at least with Like a Rolling Stone, the chorus is ambiguous all the way through in that it sounds like both, it sounds like a withering put down of her. Mm -hmm. How does it feel? You know, like this like horrible needling of her, but also it sounds so celebratory and like euphoric that it's kind of like treading a line between me. And is this how you feel about Reeling in the Years? No. So how I feel about reading in the years is that they've taken Dylan's withering snark. Just lines like... Well, you wouldn't even know a diamond if you held it in your hand. Sounds like the sort of... It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a Dylan lyric, but it sounds like it's informed by the way in which Dylan uh, punctured other people with his lyrics in the mid-60s. Because like often the vibe with Dylan in the mid-60s is you're missing some piece of knowledge, you know? Something is happening here, and you don't know what it is, do you, Mister Jones? It's like you're in the dark somehow. Well, and that like, seems to be, to me, to be the, the the vibe of this song is like you, all your values are wrong. <laughs> you misvalue everything. You don't know what true worth is. But what it's what it doesn't have is the cathartic release, which yeah. I'm possibly over generously ascribing to Bob Dylan. I mean, I, I as you well know, I'm not. I don't. I know very little of Bob Dylan and his work, but mm. I, uh, it, you're making me want to hear Bob Dylan perform this song. I can imagine well, Dylan delivering these lines in, in, in just in terms of how they're intonated um, and how they scan. 
Yeah, but what's interesting is that that so there is a difference in intonation because Dylan tends to have like an upswing at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. So here, so Fagan goes like, you know, uh, you've been telling me you're a genius since you were seventeen. It's mm-hmm. kind of a falling away, whereas Dylan would be like, you've been telling me you're a genius since you were seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. You know? That's... <laughs> <laughs> but they're not the same, are they? Like Dylan oh, is like thrusting can, out. It's so it's such old hat, but like anyone can do a Dylan impression. It just it just makes me giggle. I just love it. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? But the but the point is that Dylan like juts out his jaw, or mm. he like yeah. When you were seventeen, you know, it's like he's he's getting his right hook ready to bash around the chops. Whereas Fagan is more like you've been telling me you're a genius since you were seventeen. It's like I can't even be bothered to insult you. You're so beneath my contempt. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think that, so. Th- I think the reason I'm banging on this particular drum so relentlessly is partly because I think Bob Dylan is a much better lyricist than uh, who wrote the lyrics to Reeling the Years. Was it well, if Becker and Becker Fagan, Fagan? They're always quoted. They're always credited together. Right, so right, right, right. Um, yeah, I think Dylan is a superior lyricist. But the reason I think it's interesting is because in this song, th- there's very little like local or specific detail to who this person is. So it, it, it took me a long time to figure out that it's a kiss-off song. You know, it's like a sort of um, fuck-you-very-much song to an ex, isn't it, who's, like, moved on. Is that from, how you from, see it? I think so, yeah, because it's like, uh, are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine? It's like, you've made me suffer, and now you're moving on with your uh, cargo of new experiences. Mm-hmm. And also, there's the line about... After all the things we've done and seen you find another man which implies that she's moved on um but it could be it also i just assumed it was like a a snarky put down of of some college kid that donald fagan took against you know it doesn't feel like it it, unlike dylan (laughs) it doesn't feel like a really like incisive portrait of a of an individual so this is it's more like mood noises well a couple of things Mm. Although, <laughs> one, shut the fuck up about Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Two, can we talk about Randy Newman for once? Um, <laughs> now, number one, I think this is like it. It does feel acerbic and uh, and bitter. This song, but yeah, it, it and although Steely Dan do use like I me pronouns in their writing, like this mm-hmm. one just feels more direct. It almost feels more kind of autobiographical for reasons I can't quite pin down. Um, yeah. But having said that, I think there is an ambiguity here. And the reason I was like, do you see this as a as a kiss off to an ex is because you could you could read it as you didn't understand what you had when you had me as your lover go and enjoy your false riches, right? Yeah. Or you yeah. could read it as a father speaking to his daughter who has gone off on a self-discovery to college and a little cultural and social adventure. Right. And has, and he feels he's losing touch with her because she has all these kind of modern ideas and boyfriends and things. Yeah. I feel terribly sorry for her if that's the case. I mean, imagine sitting in a therapy session and certain, and they're like, so what did your father say about your time at college? And she's like, Oh, well he said, the things you think are precious. I can't understand. Yeah, uh, you know, 
in all the time I've known you, I still don't know what you mean. I mean, it's just like he hates me. Yeah, but, you, you, you know, there's nothing specifically in the lyrics which alludes directly to a romantic relationship. No, that's true. Yeah. It seems yeah. to be from a man writing to a woman, but it could... Eat, yeah. it, so, and I think Steely Dan are being deliberately vague here, right? Because, again, I'm going to refer to liner notes, but mm-hmm. if you the liner notes to Alive in America, which is one of their live albums, if that wasn't obvious, um, yeah. is reclaimed juvenilia infernal woman okay which would suggest <sighs> i mean this is really putting me off the song which would <laughs> which would it which, which would um you know suggest a, a, a kiss off to an ex the liner notes to can't buy a but imagine imagine call, sorry sorry just to interrupt very briefly and then i'll let you get on with mm-hmm. this but imagine breaking up with somebody and thinking of her as an infernal woman i think <laughs> like I think, even if even if she was awful and treated you really badly just the idea of using that phrase infernal woman. well look I, i've copied and pasted this so i'm not sure ex- exactly of the original what it said in the original context but i do think they put okay. that in quotation marks if that if <laughs> if that excuses them at all um mm. But yeah, anyway, on the Can't Buy a Thrill liner notes, the note next yeah. to this song is, How's my little girl? <laughs> well, that could be a sleazebag phrase, right? Or it could be, I am writing from a perspective of a of an old man who doesn't understand the, the modern world and its effect on girls, right? Which, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. fucking recurrent theme in Steely Dan. That's odd. Like ad infinitum. <laughs> So, so in the right. context of wider Dan, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a character song of, of dad not understanding what his daughter's getting into. I think. I mean, I'm I'm scanning the lyrics while you're saying this to see if it matches up, and I think it does. But the line after all the things we've done and seen, you find another man, is a little sinister if it's from the perspective of a father. I mean, I understand there is that trope of the. Losing a daughter, uh, yeah. sort of thing, like yeah, losing a daughter and like passing your daughter over to her yeah partner yeah, I, but it's I, it's pretty whack, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, whatever if if I mean whichever perspective you look at the um, antagonist, if you like the the storyteller, mm. he doesn't come across well. No, and again, like is this is this an actual bitter song to a self centered ex girlfriend? Or mm. is are they painting a portrait of this man who can't take the fact that his ex may be more like academically intelligent and culturally adventurous than he is? Yeah, that's uh, so. In other words, so so the question is: Is this a Mick Jagger lyric or a Randy Newman yeah. lyric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there he goes, rears his head. Yeah, I had to fit him in somehow. <laughs> Um, um, but you know what I mean, as in, yeah. So, is it a portrait of toxic masculinity, or is it an example of toxic masculinity? Yeah, and then, and then, yeah. uh, how how far removed is it from Fagin himself? Is he projecting onto an older man looking at a younger woman, or is he just kissing mm, off like Randy Newman in in his song Shame? Oh, please welcome back, Mr. Randy Newman. Randy. <laughs> I'm going to start like bleeping out Randy Newman's name as if it was an expletive. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, in, I'm not 100 convinced, 
by the father to daughter explanation of the song. You think they were saying how's my little um, girl purely to be sleazebags in the liner notes? Well You don't think they were teasing that possibility. That... Because that is an mm, ambiguous statement know. between the, look, the, the the singer of this the deliverer of this song, Fagan or otherwise, yeah. right, is is a veritable sleaze bag, right? Yeah. So if he so by them putting How's My Little Girl, they are quite clearly they are quite clearly introducing some teasing ambiguity there. But it was it was the early seventies. I mean, I think I think men in the early seventies just said creepy shit like that all the but time. But then, why they? would they like? Not every song had a little note by it. Why would they? Why would they drop that into the porridge? <laughs> I think I would be I would be more willing to entertain this as a theory if four episodes ago we hadn't been discussing dirty work, which is literally the like manifesto of an incel, like shortly before blowing himself up. Like it, it, if they it's were just, being what, it's so misogynistic. My point is, if they were being trashy, if they were being like, um, if they were just if they were just sprinkling in sexist commentary on the liner mm. notes, they they'd be di- as direct to say, oh, l- l- what we say on Kings? Oh, Kings were bad, weren't they? Midnight Cruiser, oh, a nice nighttime drive, <laughs> nothing, like, <laughs> nothing soothes the soul like a like a bit of jazz and a and a tootle round the block whatever you know like they're, <laughs> yeah. they're putting it yeah, there for it... a reason this is steely dan they're like they're 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 throwing you they're simultaneously throwing a breadcrumb trail and trying to throw you off the scent at the same time if they if they will if they're choosing to put something next to something then they're doing it for a reason and it, and it's always a loaded reason so i i okay so i i stand my ground on the uh on the deliberate ambiguity of the uh of the voice in this song well my instinct is that in the same way that that they wrote dirty work and then got david palmer to sing it and then got backing singers to sing it they are having their cake and eating it they've written another incel anthem for pathetic young men who think that their girlfriends have like sort of committed a crime against humanity by dumping them yeah um uh, and then they put "How's My Little Girl" so that people like you scratch their beards and ponder the the ambiguity. So you of think it. it's you think it's their get out clause? I think it's their get out clause. I think it's what you think Dylan is doing at the end of like a Rolling Stone. Well, we did say the same thing, and they did put a note next to Kings where they said no political significance, and I think we concluded that that was a get out clause, or yeah. a, or or yeah. a, or a, or a deliberate throwing off the scent. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. the thing that is the thing that I do find that I find not persuading but plausible is you saying that that theme of of a father addressing a daughter who is having a cultural adventure that he doesn't understand. You were saying that that is scattered through the well, the Dan well, no, I mean, it, it, the theme that is scattered through the Dan is a, a, an aging man not being able to understand young women anymore. Mm. That usually is in a in a sexual romantic context, it when mm. it reappears. But I, I think in this, it's, a, in this it's case, a strange obsession, isn't it? It's a strange obsession. Mm. But I think it's I think it's almost I don't think it's so much that that's what they feel like, but just that kind of like it's just part of their fascination with the kind of successful loser, mm. like 
So you think that the, the woman in this song is a, is is being portrayed as a successful loser? No, I think I think that when Steely Dan whacks on the theme of like older men and younger women, I think I think they mm. are fascinated at this this idea of like what are the what are the cracks in success? What what like what unites us all in depravity, d- dis- despite mm-hmm. money or cultural cachet or whatever else? Yeah, and 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 that's that's part of the reason why. Plus they were plus they just kind of reveled in being sleazebags a little bit. Yeah, but you, okay. It's, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, diff- got a different singer. To, it's getting a different singer to sing it. They should have called mm-hmm. Donnie and Marie Osmond. Yeah. They should have squared off that circle. Straight away. <laughs> yeah. So the time has come. Two boys <laughs> rate a Steely Dan song. Our usual rating system is the Royal Scam versus Royal Slam. Scam being bad, Slam being good. Mm-hmm. Andrew, how do you rate this? It's a As slam. If I need to ask. It it's it's twenty four carat slam. Ooh, yeah, it's twenty four hours in the slammer. Ooh, I like yeah. it. Yeah, um, it's it's very good. And when I was um, trying to give a pricey of the vibe earlier, I made it sound like it was the soundtrack to the disintegration of a middle aged man's happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it's it's been the soundtrack to my own happiness um oh. this week uh, in, in the sense that i've enjoyed it oh i thought you were going to share a lovely heartwarming story <laughs> of how you've had a lovely week <laughs> <laughs> well you know sometimes just seeing a flock of birds take flight in a i thought it was square. a slam <laughs> i thought it was a slam as well <laughs> i mean anyone could have guessed that i think this is a slam i Love Steely Dan, and this is a really good Steely Dan song. Like <laughs> yeah. nothing much more to say. It is, it is an absolute standout on this album and in their discography at large. Mm. So, you could bad say a boom, a, bad a slam. You could say a Steely Dan out. I like that. That was good. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And uh, as Ollie has pointed out, I'm now behind fifty percent of. All of Steely Dan that I've heard, I like. I'm going to. I, I feel like just snipping in some applause and cheers there okay. to represent the joy of of myself and our listeners as 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 you as you enjoy solid fifty percent of the Dan. Wow! I thought you were going to say cut in some applause for my Steely Dan doubts joke. Well, that as well. That was yeah. that was great. Thank you for listening to Countdown to Exegesis, your listen-along Steely Dan podventure. If you'd like to follow us on the old sock meds, you can do so on Instagram and Facebook at Countdown to Exegesis, or on Twitter at Exegesis Pod. And uh, just to be frank and candid, it's me, Andrew, who is uh, captaining these social media accounts. I'm the one churning out Steely Dan memes without fully understanding what the joke is. Great, and we should also mention that we have a old-fashioned email account at countdowntoexegesis at gmail.com in case anyone wants to get in touch with any longer form 
queries or suggestions and we can also be followed individually myself via my band the nature center which is the, Na the nature center on everywhere except instagram which is the nature center band and that's the nature center spelt in the commonwealth fashion how about you andrew you can follow me on one of two avenues uh, one is my band Oddman's Box, which is spelled O-D-M-A-N-S-B-O-X. Or you can follow me in my solo guise as William William Rogers. Uh, that's Rogers with a D, so R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And that's on all the usual sock meds. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, uh, give us a review, thumbs up, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. Cheers! <laughs> <laughs>